Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to a new week, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk, streaming online at supertalk.fm, available to you via podcast. If you don't catch all the show live, you miss anything, you want to go back and hear it again, you can do that via podcast or on demand at supertalk.fm. Busy weekend. A lot of basketball, a lot of baseball. You have the uh, memorial service for Kobe Bryant happening today in Los Angeles. Some uh, There were some poignant moments. There were some funny moments. There were some uh, obviously sad moments that went along uh, with that as well. But nothing was, uh, was, I don't know, grabbed the news more than a one-liner for Michael Jordan as he was standing on stage crying while he was delivering uh, his thoughts about Kobe Bryant and kind of remembering him as a little brother at times an annoying little brother, with tears running down his face. He said, I told my wife I wasn't going to do this, but here it is. He got me one more time. I'm going to have to look at this crying meme for another three to four years. And it was, Borky, it was whatever you visualize as the crying Jordan meme, it was it in spades today. (laughs) Uh, Shaq had a really good one-liner, too. used a word that uh, I can't repeat on radio, but I I watched it. A good bit of that while I was getting all the notes and stuff together for today. And his wife, I could not imagine standing in front of an mm-hmm. arena that is that was packed to the gills. I mean, not an empty seat there. And then knowing that there are thousands, if not potentially millions at home watching that and delivering the speech that she did was uh, strength uh, in spades. Yeah, I didn't really intend to watch it. It was kind of on and... You know, I look up and there's Jimmy Kimmel talking. He's kind of the host of the whole thing. And then Vanessa Bryant, and she was powerful. I thought Rob Palenka, who was Kobe's agent first, and then a friend and a business colleague, and I thought he was really, really good. Sabrina uh, Unescu, the outstanding women's basketball player from Oregon, uh, was good. Diana Taurasi was good. Uh, Gino Ariema was good. It was just, it, it was really, really well done. Uh, all the way around, and there were over 20,000 tickets that were distributed for that or sold for that to uh, raise money for uh, for his foundation. Hey, Dad, I know you, uh, obviously, as a Lakers fan and a Kobe fan, did you watch some of it, or were you kind of away having to do other stuff? I, I was away having to do other stuff, first and foremost, but I don't know that I would have watched it anyway. I, I, I'm sort of tired of grieving over that. So I really? just, you know, yeah, like, and, and this the last couple of days have sort of brought a lot of that back from what I felt a month ago. 
and you know, I just I just want to move forward, uh, you know, with with for myself. So you know, obviously, I, he he deserved to have this great ceremony and have these people get up there and talk about him. No, no, yeah. I don't have a problem with that or anything. But just for me, I, I, you know, I'm just I, I just want to keep moving forward. There were plenty of tears, but there were some fun stories too. Uh, I mean, it was oh, I'm sure. it, this was supposed to be celebration, and I, I think for the most part, they were uh, able to uh, able to strike the chord on that. Uh, so a weekend in the books, as I mentioned, a bunch of baseball, a bunch of basketball as well. Borky, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Watched a ton of sports. It didn't rain, which uh, feels like the first time in, I don't know, a decade that it didn't rain around here. Uh, so all is well. And it's funny, I, I, it was the headline of uh, the podcast I did yesterday, but at least the baseball teams are good. Yeah, there, uh, there's that. Hey, Dad, you spent a bunch of time at the ballpark this weekend. Mm-hmm. I did, I did, and uh, cold, cold Friday, better Saturday, uh, Sunday. You know, I didn't see much of the baseball game, obviously, but uh, pretty good weekend for Mississippi State. They were able to get around JT again, not being there on Friday. Uh, they took advantage of some things on Saturday. Sunday was a bit of a, uh, uh, it was a good. We'll just we'll put it that way. Not not a great game for MSU baseball, but five and one after six games, I feel like they're in pretty good shape. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty good shape at uh, at this point. Looked like the crowd on Saturday was fantastic. What over twelve thousand for a yeah. uh, Saturday game in February? Not too shabby. Yeah, biggest game, uh, February, February, biggest February crowd in school history. A lot of people wow. out there. The outfield. I got I got a chance to go out to the lounge. I uh, had some family out there, and they invited me out, so I took a couple innings out there. And it's it, it really does strike me at how it was packed, people everywhere. But getting around out there is so much easier now than it was. You know, three or four years ago, before they had done all these renovations, so really, really cool to get out there and see the game from that angle. That's a really good point. If if you went to the old version of the dude, where you were kind of walking down at ground level, um, and you had to kind of get up among the rigs or the different spots to just be able to see the field, it's just not like that at all. You can you can see no. the field from everywhere you go, and you can kind of work in and out of the different. Uh, um, uh, spots, areas, you know, slots. However, you if, you want to describe each of those places. If you wanted to go, if you wanted to go from left field to right field through the lounge five years ago, in a, in a, in a, on a packed game, you couldn't do it. You you just couldn't do it. Now you could you could do it in five six minutes if you run if you walk fast. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a lot of time at the ballpark for you as well this weekend. A good weekend for Ole Miss, Rippy. Yeah, it was cold, but very little rain. We almost I thought there was going to be a delay Sunday, but all good. Able to get it in just before the rain kind of uh, set in yesterday afternoon. Three wins against a, uh, a Xavier team that um, offensively challenged. Some of that credit goes to the Ole Miss pitching staff, and some of it is they're just offensively challenged, right? They had two hits through the first 30 innings. That's some really good pitching. Or, <laughs> again, probably a combination of the two, right? I mean, Ole Miss pitched it well this weekend. They did pitch it well this weekend. Uh, to that extreme, I mean... That's. I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, you had a combined no hitter Friday, two hit shutout Saturday, Sunday thirteen to three, and the last two runs came pretty late in the game. Just uh, Xavier wasn't able to offer offer much at the plate. Was there a feeling of drama when it's a combined no hitter and you're onto your third pitcher? I mean, obviously you want to see it. I've never been part of a no hitter in person. I've never broadcast one. I think it would have been kind of cool, but it's a little bit different than if you get one guy. Who's trying to finish it off in the the ninth inning versus a, a staff no hitter? 
Yeah, I mean, they celebrated after it was over, and it's certainly a f- accomplishment and a feat or whatever, but as far as, like, people, you know, standing on their seats at the end, not necessarily, no. Did it feel like there was any drama, though? I mean, it was... the stadium on edge? It was a sparse crowd as is. It was super cold. I, I don't know. I mean, we were inside. As far as, like, on edge, I would say that's probably a little far. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and then hoop stuff. Let's uh, we'll, we'll we'll dive into the basketball coming up in just a little bit, and then we'll circle back to uh, baseball as well. Scott Barry will join us about twenty minutes from right now. Uh, Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State, joins us today in the four o'clock hour. That will be about an hour and five minutes from now, and then about two hours and five minutes from now, Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco. Scott Barry's team wins a series against UCA in uh, in Hattiesburg this weekend. Obviously, Chris Lamonis' team uh, wins the series against Oklahoma, or excuse me, uh, Oregon State, not Oklahoma State, different OSU. And uh, Mike Bianco's ball club gets the sweep as uh, as well. On the hoops front, hey, Dad, you said pretty good weekend for Mississippi State. That's uh, on the diamond, not necessarily on the hardwood. Men's team goes to College Station and loses on Saturday, and then the women's team loses one yesterday to uh, to Alabama. Yeah, I don't remember the last time the women lost a game in conference play to an unranked team. I mean, it's it's been a few years for sure. Um, just a, a game that State was up by 13 in the fourth quarter and let it get away. I mean, very atypical of a Vic Schaefer team. And then for the men, I mean, I know the analytics and I know a lot of the projections still have the State on the periphery of the bubble, but I, I just look at this team now and say if you can't win at Texas A&M, if you're going to give up 87 points to a Texas A&M team that was averaging 61 coming in, I don't have any faith in state to to win the games they need to to put themselves squarely in this conversation. They're they're helped by the fact that the bubble is not good, but yeah. right now with this team, I just I, I think they're trending the wrong way. How closely did you watch that game? Uh, pretty closely. We had it on in the press box. Uh, like I said, I did take a, a few minutes to go out in the lounge, so I missed about maybe fifteen minutes of the second half. But I, I was keeping up, and it, state just didn't look like they were in the game. They just they, they let A and M push them around for the most part. I thought. Well, the, the reason I say how closely did you watch it, are you able to watch that game and come to some reasonable conclusion as to how it is that Texas A&M has had the level of success that they've had in SEC play to get to the point of being 8-6 and six in the league? They play incredibly hard. They sure do. In, incredibly hard. Like When, when you talk about when, – when, when fans talk about, well, I wish we played hard every play, they're talking about Texas A&M. Texas A&M fans must have different complaints than the average basketball fan because their their guys are playing hard every play. Ole Miss at times looked okay offensively. They did not play hard defensively against Alabama on Saturday night. No, and I think the highlight was probably the lady went in that car. Kermit Davis. How cool was that? Yeah, pretty pretty sweet. Nice putt, double breaker. But yeah, just no a game where no one ever really got any rhythm. And, you know, it was officiated strangely. There's like 49 fouls, but I mean, Alabama pummeled Ole Miss from the jump. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll, um, we'll flip a coin and we'll either talk baseball or basketball when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Just getting started on this Monday. And I said we'd flip a coin on basketball or baseball, but I think the reality is the basketball conversation is a bigger one right now, uh, at least in terms of Mississippi State. This uh, Bulldogs basketball team right now 
sitting at uh, 17 and 10 overall, 8 and 6 in SEC play. They were an NCAA tournament team a year ago that lost in the first round to Liberty. It was a good Liberty team, but uh, lost nonetheless. Tier five under Ben Howland, and hey, Dad. I, I mean, is there still a road to the NCAA tournament for for Mississippi State? Of, of course there is, but it feels like, as opposed to currently playing themselves into the NCAA tournament, they're playing themselves out of the NCAA tournament. Most recent Joe Lunardi bubble math is this: last four teams to get a bye which means not playing in one of those kind of play-in games. I know they don't call it that, but you know what we're talking about in Dayton. Indiana, Xavier, Wichita State, and Utah State. Last four overall into the tournament, Oklahoma, Southern Cal, Providence, and NC State. And then you've got three SEC teams in the first four out. Richmond, Stanford, I'm sorry, in the first four out or the next four out. First four out, Richmond, Stanford, UCLA. There you find Mississippi State. Next four out includes Memphis, Georgetown, Alabama, and South Carolina. Currently four SEC teams in. Uh, we've kind of followed those four all season long with Kentucky and Auburn and uh, and Florida and LSU. And then just everything is kind of up and down. It feels like Alabama's probably playing the best of the bubble teams right now. Arkansas now has Isaiah Joe healthy, but did they dig too deep of a hole? We'll see what happens with South Carolina. And then there's Mississippi State, who we all agree is wildly talented. We agree that Ben Howland has recruited well, and yet here we are. Feels like they're playing their way in the wrong direction. Yeah, and, and, and it's been that way yeah, basically for the past few weeks. Now, the Kentucky loss, I think everybody can forgive and, and move on for, from. But then you lose by 25 at Ole Miss, and you just basically get handled up there. Uh, you think you feel like you you know you got a little momentum back when you beat uh, Arkansas and South Carolina, and then you just give it away again. And th- this has just been the nature of this team the past few weeks, sort of up and down, up and down. Um, they don't have they didn't have any margin for error three weeks ago, really. I mean, outside of losing to Kentucky, you know their non conference losses are not great outside of Villanova. Um, they have four losses now of teams 90 or below in the net. Their resume is not great. Again, you know, the only thing really saving them is that there's just, I mean, there's just not a lot of good teams this year. The, the bubble is really, really soft, and that's what's keeping State around. And, and State's at a point now where if they do the right things and they, they win out and maybe grab a game in Nashville, then, yeah, they're probably going to get in. But I don't see how you can look at this team and the way they've played this year and, and say with any confidence that that's going to happen. Alabama tomorrow night in Starkville, Saturday at Missouri, next Tuesday night out South at South Carolina, and then Ole Miss at home to finish it out. Are they going 4-0 and in those four games? No. Probably not. I say no. I say no. Which is more likely? Three and one or two and two? More likely is probably two and two. I, I tend to agree with you. I think three and one and not getting routed in their opening game of the SEC tournament is probably enough to get into the into the big dance. I really do. I agree. I agree. I, I let, think let, the let, one loss I think the one loss can't be to Ole Miss. 
because their their net is is they're back under ninety now. You need to win that game, but you could you could survive a, another a loss in the other three. Yeah, I feel like you you got to win the two home games, and, because in some ways it's almost like you're playing with Alabama head to head for one of those spots. Right, and then if you split the road games with Missouri and South Carolina, get one of those. Probably would be better to get the one at South Carolina if you've got to get one of the two in terms of a, a quality win. And again, a team that you might, I know they don't really look at it this way, but to me, there's a human element and you go, okay, you get these two teams that are competing for a tournament bid. Well, they beat Alabama head to head. They beat South Carolina head to head. So maybe it gives them a little bit of a leg up there. But I think you got to win the two home games and get one of the ones on the road. Two yeah. and two, you're leaving yourself a lot of work to do in Nashville. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, if you beat Alabama, and the Alabama game sort of strikes me the same way that Arkansas game did a couple weeks or last weekend, I guess, two weekends ago, that it it, it feels like a, a play out game. The loser of that game is is not going to get in. Um, and then if you can beat South Carolina, yeah, that's a quadrant one win as things sit right now. So th- those are those are two big games there. Missouri State matches up pretty well with Missouri. I think they can take that game. But at the end of the day, I, I can't have a lot of confidence. Alabama beat State by 21 earlier this year. Ole Miss beat State by 25. State has been terrible on the road this year. So it, it's it's sort of the same thing we've been playing with all year in that, yes, State is talented and good enough to win all of these games, but State does not play like they're good enough to win all of these games. The bigger question why is Mississippi State having this trouble? I'm going to steal a line from my old friend Rick Ray when I tell you, Richard, if I knew the answer to that, I'd make a lot more money. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know. But you, you understand why I asked the question, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, because talent-wise, they have as good a starting five. I mean, if you look at from a recruiting standpoint, you've got in your top seven, you've got uh, six four-stars and a uh, and a high three-star in Molinar. You've got you know two guys that the NBA loves with Perry and Woodard. Uh, you know you've got veterans in Carter and Weatherspoon there in the backcourt. You've got a, a tough junior center in Adulado. You have experience. You have talent. Ben Hallen has been a tournament coach most of his career. Why is it not working? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know it's it's one of those things where the the parts aren't or the the, the sum is not as good as the parts. And I don't, and it, it it is a a real mystery why this team to me has underachieved in the way it has this year. Borky, you've watched this team all season long. What do you think? Um. Oh wow, that's a that's a pretty loaded question. I think at times, and this is pretty simplistic, but I don't think they run the offense through what I think is their best player enough. And sometimes, I mean, a guy will drop twenty five points, and you'll think, what more can he do? But there are times where. Uh, especially Texas A&M, for example, cannot stop Reggie Perry when he's locked in and focused. And when you look at the shot numbers, there are some games where there are multiple players that have just put up more shots than he has. And they they do not force the issue with him getting him the basketball. It's things like that, especially offensively, that always baffle me. Because how many teams in the SEC can put and scheme a way to stop that guy? I mean... There aren't many people that have the athletes that can do it, and yet somehow they're able to. 
And for State, you look at Saturday's game. Offensively was not really the issue. Scoring 75 points you would think would be plenty enough to beat Texas A&M. To give up 87 points and allow A&M to shoot 60%, that's just embarrassing. Wait, A&M shot 60% for the game. Holy yeah. cow. They shot 53% from behind the arc, and, and I know they've gotten better and maybe a little more confident as the season's gone along. But there was a point during SEC play, like four games into league play, where Texas A&M was the worst three-point shooting team in all of college basketball. Dead last. Yeah. And they go out and they hit 53%? Yeesh. Yeah, just a, I mean, 87 points. I would never, never would have guessed State was going to give up 87 points to Texas A&M. Never would have guessed. If you told me State got 75, I would have said State wins the game by double digits. That's not really how A&M beat you either. They beat you the way they no. beat Ole Miss, and they just turned it into a you know fist fight, rock fight, whatever you want to call it. They did only make right. nine threes. So, so that I mean, that 53 percent is not a high volume of shots taken. Yeah. Um, and, hey, Dad, when you look at it, I mean, r- really, okay, they shoot better from the field. They shoot a little better from three. Uh, 16 makes at the free throw line for Texas A&M as opposed to 10 free throw attempts for Mississippi State. And that's that's a big red flag. You think about the way State's won games the past few weeks. They've done it by getting to the line 20-plus times and making 15- to 20-plus free throws. So that's a, that's a big chunk of offense that State didn't get. State out-rebounded Texas A&M in the, uh, in the game by nine. Uh, Mississippi State did turn it over 16 times. You had four turnovers for Tyson Carter, five turnovers for uh, for Nick Weatherspoon as well. Uh, Reggie Perry, 14 points, eight rebounds in the game. The individual numbers at this point just don't matter um, yeah. because it's all got to add up to at least one more than the other team had, and that was not the case as Texas A&M won it fairly easily, uh, 87-75, on Saturday against Mississippi State. We'll talk a little bit later about Ole Miss's game against Alabama on Saturday night. We'll get into the baseball weekend as well. Uh, But when we come back, we're going to take a quick timeout from the basketball conversation and get into our weekly chat with Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Monday afternoon during baseball season. That means conversations with head baseball coaches in the state of Mississippi. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line for the first time today. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team to check in with Scott Perry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Team won two of three over the weekend, went three and one for the week, and they are six and one to start the season. Uh, I know you always want to win every single game you play, coach, but when you win weekend series and you have a three in one week, all in all, it's a pretty good week at the ballpark, right? Well, it is, Richard. You know, uh, Friday night we ran into a pretty good one that Central Arkansas had. Uh, you know, he was a legit Friday night starter, and we didn't match up very good with him. Uh, um, Gabe Shepard pitched okay, but not you know his best. And fell behind there six to nothing, and, and tried to climb back in it. And uh, ended up getting beat six to three, but a really, really competitive uh, Central Arkansas team, well coached by Coach Gum. Uh, you know, an older team, mostly all junior college guys. So, uh, you know, we're able to salvage Saturday, uh, win Saturday, and, and, and then the series winner on on Sunday yesterday. 
we've talked a lot with you about come from behind victories kind of through the years, but but the stat that was floating around last week after your Tuesday night win against New Orleans, where, where you got the 6-5 to five win in walk-off fashion, it was the 18th time in the last two-plus seasons, so, or maybe it's the last three-plus seasons, whatever the, the time span is. And then you did it again on Saturday, the come-from-behind victory. What goes into that? Because sometimes you can luck your way into a walk-off win, but when it happens that often, there's got to be something that's kind of part of your makeup to be able to do that with such regularity. Well, you know, you, you certainly don't spend a lot of time in a rocking chair coaching game, I guess, when you have to do <laughs> stuff like that. So you, you're always on your feet. But, you know, I think, I hope what it says about our program is, is that we are, we're, we're in it mentally and physically until the last out. And if, we're, you know, if we're behind, then we're going to exhaust every option we have. And, you know, there's been a lot of times where we've been able to get it done. And as you alluded to, two of the four games in, in since we last talked, we were able to do just that. So uh, proud of our guys and and how they stayed, especially this team. It's a it's a somewhat young team, uh, a new team, but we've we've got some guys that that are good leaders, uh, Gidry and Montenegro and and, and Powell. Uh, all those guys have done a really good job of, of modeling uh, what we want in our program for these younger guys. So uh, it's been a fun. Fun, fun group so far. We talked kind of going into the year and after that first weekend about how it was going to be a, a different team, a different roster, a different ri- lineup. You lost so many long balls from the season uh, a year ago. Three home runs, though, so far this season. Did you anticipate that number would be more than that? Uh, is that something that's concerning? No, I, you know, I didn't think we, you know, I, I didn't think we would hit with the power, obviously, that we've hit the last few years here three or four years so you know i knew we were going to be a different kind of club i I want us to be more competitive at the plate not strike out as much you know in those prior years we did strike out more than i'd like but we were rewarded with some home runs there that offset that number so when you can do that you know it's the same way on the pitching side i mean if you're going to walk somebody you better be able to strike them out uh certainly more than you than you walk them so uh, you know, we just we're, we're still kind of working uh, through everything. In all honesty, Richard, you know, we still have to be more competitive at the plate. I thought we gave some at bats away this weekend, and because you know we're not going to just be able to survive on that long ball, we're going to have to pressure the defense, and, and our own base percentage is going to have to uh, continue to increase and give ourselves a chance to win. Scott Barry on your radio. Tell me a little more about Charlie Fisher. I know we mentioned him in passing last week. had a uh, had a big base hit that that won you a ball game. But you look up through seven games, he's hitting three eighty five. Just a sophomore. What, what do people need to know or or need to continue to watch for with Charlie Fisher? Well, he's another Minnesota product like Walder, uh, a guy that only had eleven at bats last year. You know, I think the. Uh, the second weekend of the you know, season last year when we were at Startville in that first game, uh, he got a pinch hit uh, single that uh, was the winning one, drove in the winning run for us. So, but he only, you know, he only had 10 more at bats after that, but went off, had a good summer this summer, worked hard, came back this fall. Um, but young man that's uh, seen only action as a DH, we worked him in the outfield and he'll work some there from time to time but 
has got really, really big time power, Richard, and I think that's still in front of him. He's still learning the plane of the bat and the stroke. So, but he does have he does have a good idea how to hit, uh, and he shows that by using all fields uh, with with his approach. So, but you know, he's he's really got some power numbers that are still in there. They'll come out hopefully uh, sometime soon. Coach, you'd like to not answer health questions at this point of the season. We talked last week about Will McGillis being banged up. Kind of where is he in terms? Was he able to come back? Uh, and then uh, my understanding is you're dealing with the flu kind of going through the team right now? Yeah, we've got a bad, bad problem with the flu right now. It's uh, We had three more that went on that list this morning, so I don't know exactly – where it's come from, but it started last week and is working his way through there. Got my trainer yesterday, so uh, oh. you know, so we're we're down a trainer. We've had to pull a trainer from basketball to work with us, but you know, hopefully tomorrow we won't get any more bad news about you know um, you know somebody else with it. And, and you know, my biggest concern is is we're all together on that bus headed to Oxford tomorrow. So I hope we don't and you know and and somebody have it and pass it around for this weekend because we got four important games uh, this weekend after we play Ole Miss tomorrow night down in Lake Charles. So <clears throat> just trying to trying to stay as uh, sanitized as we can, I guess, and, uh, and hopefully we'll get through this thing. So, so what do you do? I mean, when, when you're on the bus and you've got 30 guys on the bus and you got to be there for four hours, I mean, are you putting masks on everybody? Or are you just passing around the hand sanitizer stuff? What do you do? Well, I think you know, you know, we're we're trying to leave the guys back that obviously have it and uh, that are you know are even wanting to go, but uh, you know we just got to leave them behind and and yeah. hope that we're pretty clean when we get on that bus tomorrow with the guys we have to go up there. And but no, I mean, yeah, we just reemphasize uh, making sure that you wash your hands and and uh you know don't drink after somebody else everything else you know that your mom always told you growing <laughs> up and uh and just do the best we can with it hope we don't we don't spread it anymore what is uh what's your pitching plan tomorrow night we're gonna start drew boyd who actually is just coming off the flu uh he had it uh, missed the whole weekend wasn't around us uh started coming on him middle of the week last week and uh, kind of went full blown on him on Friday. So, but he came out yesterday and 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 threw a little bit after everybody was gone and felt good. So, we're going to start him, and this will be his first start. Uh, he's a young man. That's the he's a, this is the third year in our program. He's from Oak Grove, nearby high school. But was a Tommy John surgery on uh, his freshman year, and then last year just didn't come back like like it like he should in time to really warrant. Uh, trying to pitch him last year, so he's really uh, he's been two years without uh, you know really any baseball action other than uh, he did have an appearance through two innings against New Orleans on Tuesday night. So we'll start with him and you know probably throw a bunch of guys. In all honesty, uh, that's probably what we're going to have to do. Is part of that a function of trying to keep your arms together for the weekend on a weekend where you're going to play four games? Well. At this time, a little bit, the flu's kind of hit us a little bit to where we're okay. just going to have to try to juggle those plans a little bit. Yeah, and then and then just try to keep everybody fresh for those four games this week. So it's a little bit of both in that. There you go. Headed to Lake Charles this weekend, Valparaiso on Friday and Saturday. 
<clears throat> excuse me, a game against McNeese State on Saturday afternoon and then Sunday with McNeese State as well. And, of course, the week gets started tomorrow in Oxford, a 4 p.m. first pitch against Ole Miss. Coach, uh, hope uh, you can avoid the flu and everybody can get well as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's going to uh, – we'll, we'll just do the best we can, Richard. So we're, we're looking forward to coming up to Oxford, though, tomorrow night. All right, Scott, thanks for your time as always. You betcha. Thank you. That's Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. So the flu – has hit the Southern Miss baseball team. And uh, you heard said Drew Boyd will get his first career start tomorrow against Ole Miss. Golden Eagles won two of three this weekend, lost six to three on Friday night, came back and won in ten innings, five to four on Saturday, and won at eight to six yesterday. I didn't really think about that, though. And it's one thing if you've got a home game, you got to get on the bus and go four hours. And then four hours back home, and then you got another bus trip to Lake Charles this weekend. R- Rippy, would that be a, a good time to use your uh, your favorite word? Probably so. It does not sound fun. No, not at all. What do you think, Borky? Should they be in the masks? They should be like in the masks, and then the if people it, in the airlines. Yeah, and when I flew a few weeks ago, I mean, those people were everywhere. It's kind of jarring. But, yeah, give them the masks, and then if there's a couple of guys with a scratchy throat, like put one of those plastic tents around them on the bus, like have a quarantine zone. (laughs) Never be too careful. Just drop a sheet of Visqueen about halfway back. Okay, if you have had the flu or you're feeling bad, you go on that side. Everybody else stays on this side. And that's no fun and just takes a little while to kind of get that through your, I guess, team system. Yuck. Sports Talk Mississippi always appreciates Scott Perry joining us on Mondays. Chris Lamonis will do so in the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Bianco a little bit later this afternoon in the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. You can be part of the show by texting us on the Ceasefire text line. Unleash the next generation of Galaxy on the Ceasefire network now with 5G speeds. You can pre-order one of the brand-new Samsung Galaxy S20 series of smartphones online for $300 off when you upgrade or $500 off when you add a new line. Learn more online at cspire.com. That's the brand new series from Samsung, the Samsung Galaxy S20. Check it out. cspire.com. Um, we've got winners and losers coming up to begin the four o'clock hour. Some great candidates for winners and maybe a few candidates for losers as well. Yeah, I've it's, got a good one. Uh, on which side? On the winner's side or the loser side? Well, the winner's side is going to be the obvious one, the hockey story from the weekend. Uh, the 42-year-old Zamboni driver having to play That's goalie awesome. for the Hurricanes and winning the that game. That's so cool. That's awesome. But, uh, no, on the loser side. Okay. We will uh, anxiously await that coming up in, uh, in just a little bit. Um, Tyson Fury on Saturday night went seven rounds. I'm sorry. Fury Wilder, Tyson Fury got the uh, the TKO in seven rounds. Did you watch? No. Would have liked to, but the whole pay-per-view thing kind of steers me away from it at the moment. I watched yes. it. Yeah, I watched it too. A friend of mine actually periscoped it, so I got to watch it for free. 
they bought it I, and then periscoped it for you to watch I, it? I was not planning on watching it. They just periscoped it, period. It wasn't just for me. But I was just scrolling around on Twitter, and I saw my, my guy, I won't give him away here, and just said, watching Tyson, uh, watching Fury Wilder, and I just said, click, and I watched the whole fight. Nice. Did you actually buy it, Rippy? No, I used an illegal stream. You're such a... I don't know. Did you buy it? No, I did not. I was driving. Oh. There's no... I mean, I wasn't going to, like, buy it on my phone and try and watch it going down the interstate. Looks like we're one and the same, then. Neither of us bought the fight. Yeah, I suppose so. Do you see awesome. Wilder's excuse today? So they, they had some kind of clause to where one of them can, uh, like, call for a, a rematch this summer. And yeah. Wilder did it because he claims his legs were tired because of the 40-pound costume he wore in the walk into the ring. And that caused him to be off his game, and that's why he lost the fight. So they're going to fight again. That kind of feels like a you problem, doesn't it? Yeah, you probably shouldn't have wore a forty-pound costume. And on the other hand, uh, but, but, but hold was... on a second. Hold on a second now. I'm, I'm not buying the excuse, though. Oh no. I mean, we we know that's an excuse because we're talking about a uh, a heavyweight boxer, a forty-pound costume for a hundred-foot walk or a hundred-yard walk, whatever it is. That shouldn't be the difference in winning or losing. Come it, on, it does absolutely nothing. But on the flip side, I mean, Galaxy Brain stuff. His opponent got carried into the ring, so maybe there's something yeah. to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't the, think it's a coincidence. Mike Tyson just wore like a what, like a white towel with a, a hole cut out for it through the ring. Minimal, minimal uh, exertion on the way. Exertion to the ring. prior to the uh, prior to the fight. Did you like Tyson Fury's entrance into the ring? Yes, fantastic. Reminded me of the Macho Man Randy Savage at King of the Ring. It was pretty cool. It, it really was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I would say that. Um, Deontay Wilder's uh, getting his eardrum burst during the fight after getting punched in the oh. side of the head and uh, kind of equilibrium being off a little bit might have had more to do with losing that fight than and Fury uh, licking the blood off of him. That's the Ooh. most savage move. Oh, my God. primal, wasn't it? It was. Fa he said he wanted to taste blood, man. He did it. Anything stand out to you from the fight other than the fact that Tyson Fury was just significantly better? Singing Don McLean after you win a fight and getting the whole arena d to do it's pretty cool. I haven't mm. watched a fight, a heavyweight fight, in so long, and it's just so different than you. You know, you and I have talked a lot about Tyson Lewis, you yeah. know, back in the day, and they're just so different. Tyson Fury is like, he's just so much bigger, and the way that he fights is just so different than you know, than, than what I'm used to seeing. It took some 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 time to get used to, but it was fun to watch. Would watch an illegal stream again. Are, the the reminder of what a spectacle a heavyweight boxing title bout is is kind of cool. Yeah, there's no there's nothing else in sports that compares. And, and I, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I just don't think there's anything else that compares to the buildup for a heavyweight boxing match. And I know it's not anywhere close to what it was in the in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or even in the 90s. I know boxing is different than it was then, but there's still something that for a really big fight goes, man, it'd be kind of cool to be there for that. Yeah. Hour in the books with you on a Monday at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, winners and losers. What we liked and didn't like from the weekend, and then what you liked and didn't like, what you saw that stood out to you from the weekend, 
We will do that next. Winners and losers on this Monday on Sports Talk Mississippi. Our text line is open, 601-879-4395. C Spire reminds you that Mississippi's future depends on Senate Bill 2284 and House Bill 1165. Join C Spire in the fight and tell your legislator to support computer science for every, excuse me, for every school. Text FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com to get started. It's Monday. It's just after 4 o'clock. That means it's time for winners and losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Porky, you know how winners and losers has gained traction when people start sending them to us an hour before we start? Or when you get a call from your mother on Saturday (laughs) night and says, I've got a winner for you on Monday. Nice. That's the phone call that I got from my mom. She's like, have you seen the story yet? I said, well, what story are you talking about, Mom? And she said, the lady at the basketball game, 86-year-old Mary Ann Wakefield, Uh, provided one of the very few highlights for Ole Miss on Saturday night when she went on to the floor for a promotion that they have. Uh, Cannon Motors does the uh, promotion where you putt from one end of the floor to the other. A 94-foot baseline-to-baseline putt. The ball must travel through the hole in the sign on the opposite end of the floor without touching anything. She nailed it and won a 2020 Nissan Altima 94 feet did it move? Could, could you tell on the line whether or not there was any movement or it was straight the whole way? I was actually looking down when it happened, so I looked up just to see the commotion. So is she, 80, not that it matters, but is she 86 or 84? Because she was 86 when they announced it, and then once all the national places got a hold of it, she was 84. Yeah, I don't know. She's going to be like 71 by the time Saturday down south aggregates it. Well, reg- for her. She's got a new car. <laughs> Regardless, 86 is what I heard originally. I saw some people uh, put 84 yesterday. Uh, regardless, in her 80s, 94-foot putt. Borky, you'd be beside yourself if you want a new car, wouldn't you? Oh, I would just try to find a way to turn around and sell it. Well, okay. You can do that once it's yours. See, you I, I wondered about that. Taxes exist. Uh, Rippy and I were thinking about that this morning. Like, do they just really hand you over a car? Is there, or is there like a a certain credit to go to their dealership? How does that work? Do they literally just hand you a car for you to use whenever? I always figured there was something more to it. I don't know. Somebody asked during the game where Kermit uh, Davis was and said, oh, he had to go pull the car around for the lady that won the, <laughs> on the putt. <laughs> he had to leave the building early for that. Oh, man. He may not have found that uh, that joke as funny as uh, as some did. But, uh, no, Mary Ann on the winner's list. Mary Ann Wakefield for winning a new car at the basketball game. Bork, uh, Borky, you alluded to it. Tell the story from uh, Saturday night in the National Hockey League. David Ayers, a goalie, got his first NHL win, which does not exactly make news around here. However, he is a 42-year-old Zamboni driver, and the, there's a thing that hockey does, and I don't believe it exists in any other sport, where every arena for a home NHL game has what's called an emergency goalie. It is yep. somebody that is a neutral party, or supposed to be. This guy is actually a Maple Leafs fan and had to play against the team that he loves. But it's a neutral party that is prepared to play for either team 
if both of their goalies cannot play in the game. Every hockey team only has two. The Carolina Hurricanes, when in Toronto, lost both of their goalies, and this 42-year-old Zamboni driver who has never played professional hockey in his life, but he is a practice player for the local minor league hockey team there, and he drives the Zamboni for the arena. That's all he does. He's just a 42-year-old man. They had a sewing kit in the locker room and sewed his name onto a jersey. He takes the ice wearing a helmet that has Toronto Maple Leafs logos and stuff on it, plays Hmm. against the team, wins the game. Such a cool story. Yeah, and I saw an interview he did earlier today where he said he had gone to the gym that morning and actually it had done kind of a a heavy leg day uh, because he didn't anticipate four times previously uh, he had been called into action but not actually had to go into a game. So apparently if an injury to the goalie happens, then you go down and you get ready. And that's what he did. He went down and he got dressed partially and uh, then was sitting in the media room when the second goalie for the Hurricanes went down, put on his gear, goes out, promptly gives up two goals in the first two shots that he faces. But then he was pretty good the rest of the way. And, Seven uh, got to third period saves. That's awesome. What a great rule, by the way. Can you imagine in in football something like this? You know, Ole Miss is 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 playing, and you know, Plumley goes down, Corral goes down. Don't know who's behind him, but he goes down, and they just look at you and go, "Rippy, get in there." <laughs> it's what like, what does it tell you about hockey though that this guy's not a professional athlete? Played goalie on the ice, came in and won a game. Two years ago, you had an expansion franchise make the Stanley Cup final. Like something seems up with that. Well, now he's a, a like a semi-pro hockey player. Yeah, he, Fair he's basically like so. So they need bodies sometimes, just people to stand in goal to take shots. So he does practice with at times the the Maple Leafs, but he practices with their minor league team just to give them like a goalie body so they can take more shots on goal with the real person there. But his last action in any competitive league at all was five years ago when he gave up eleven goals. Hmm. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. Mason Saunders. Now, you may be asking yourself who that is, but uh, if you read this article on The Athletic from Andrew Baggerly and Zach Buchanan, you know that Mason Saunders is a uh, prize-winning rodeo roper. (laughs) Also known as... He has another job on the weekends. He's known as Madison Baumgartner. What a great article, by the way. What a fantastic piece of journalism. This 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 is the stuff why I subscribe to The Athletic. So they did some digging and found out that Bumgarner has been working as a rodeo pro uh, in his free time uh, and recently won a team rodeo roping competition and a prize of $26,560, a little less than his five-year uh, $85 million deal he just signed uh, with the, uh, the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. He was not overly pleased at being outed as a competitive rodeo roper. Uh, but uh, the Diamondbacks, they don't, I don't know if they're going to let him continue or not, but I thought it was hilarious and just a really, really funny story. Rippy, give me a winner. Well, he took him on with the putt. So. Sorry. I got another one, but it's not could, funny. I, I, it's just, as do just, I. Go right. ahead. I, I was going to go Florida Gators baseball. Okay. I said a couple weeks ago I liked the Gators. I thought they were a little, un, you know, People, you guys were sort of questioning why were they ahead of Georgia and things like that. And I was, I, th- I thought the Gators were going to be good. They went down to number one Miami this week and swept them. Uh, they did. Kevin O'Sullivan, 
looks like that team is going to be uh, – I mean, it's just the SEC in baseball, man. It doesn't get any easier. But that, that team looks like they're just right back in it after, you know, sort of a, a down year last year. Anthony Servideo hitting 500 for Ole Miss. He's got four home runs on the season and was named National Player of the Week by Collegiate Baseball. Probably deserves to be on the winner's list. But how about this guy? Former Marine Corps officer and retired Drug Enforcement Administration Special Agent, DEA Special Agent, George Hood. So, hey, Dad, you, you've been for the last year or so in a bit of a, a workout regimen. Borky, you from time to time get there. Um, I had one of those stretches about a month ago where, you know, I worked out for two weeks and then found convenient reasons not to. How about this guy? George Hood set the Guinness World Record and actually broke his, uh, well, at one time he had this record for planking. So you know what a plank is, right? Where you basically get in a push-up position and you just stay there. Yeah. George Hood stayed in a plank position for 8 hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds. I don't even see how that's possible. The grueling session burned an estimated 4,252 calories. He has trained nearly 7 hours a day for the past 18 months, including but not limited to approximately 2,100 hours of plank time, 270,000 push-ups, and nearly 674,000 sit-ups. And, oh, by the way, it's not his own personal record. It's just the one certified by Guinness. There was another organization that certified him doing a 10-hour plank in the past. You know, on, on the yoga, you do you do some planking. And, I, you know, at about 30 seconds, I want to, you know, die. So yes. eight hours? I barely can sleep for eight hours. I can't imagine just how it is. It boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. Hey, Dad, I'm right there with you. Okay, so uh, again, like I went through that little stretch where I was trying to kind of do better, and so a 30 second plank, trying to do three 30 second planks with rest in between, couldn't get to 30 seconds three times. Yeah, we're an hour plus into the show right now. He still has seven hours to go of just just planking there. I finally, after about a week, got to where I was able to hold one plank for 60 seconds. Eight hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds in a push-up position. I feel like that's one of those things that when you get done, you look around and think, "Well, well, now what? He's 62 years old! What do you do for your 63-year-old encore? Just shut it down if you want to, man. You've earned it. Sports Talk Mississippi, your winners and losers are next. Quickly on the ceasefire text line, loser Richard for not being able to plank for more than 60 seconds. Jay and Tupelo says it is time for me to get a little more exercise. <laughs> Guilty as charged, Jay. <laughs> Guilty as charged. We'll circle back to your winners and losers from the weekend, but right now we will go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team to chat with the head baseball coach at Mississippi State, Chris Lamonis. Team won two out of three over the weekend and have only one loss on the season. And, Coach, before we get into the specifics of the weekend, how cool is it to play a series like this against a team like Oregon State 
in week two and then look up on Saturday afternoon and you've got more than 12,000 people in the ballpark. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome day. I mean, having uh, I think we set a record for February. Um, ended up being a beautiful day. We had basketball in for the weekend, too, so I think we had a lot of people in town, and uh, it makes a difference. I mean, I tell you, on the field, it makes a difference. The energy it creates, the atmosphere it creates for our opponents, and, uh, you know, as I was talking to a couple of Oregon State people as the weekend went on, they're just amazed at the, at the baseball product we have here in Starkville. And Oregon State is a place where they support college baseball. I mean, they've got a, a, a nice facility and good fans, maybe the best on the entire West Coast, but it's it's even a different type environment for them, isn't it? It really is. When you're here on this part in this part of the country, it's just different. I mean, West Coast baseball is great, but it's there's a lot more to do on the West Coast maybe sometimes. And we, I look up and, and I see orange and black and all our rigs and our people like adopt our, our guests as they come in for the weekend. It's just it's just something that's a, I know it's an SEC, you know, saying it just means more, but, you know, baseball in this part of the country at these SEC schools is just pretty special. Obviously, once you jump into league play after a couple of more weeks, the, the level of competition is, is pretty comparable every single weekend. You, you go into a weekend hoping that you can win a series and anything beyond that is great. How do you feel about playing a series like this, about this kind of opponent in week two this early in the year? Well, we felt like we needed to prove, you know, prove ourselves and we got a lot of young players new players we wanted to test them a little bit early i mean our first weekend right state's going to win 40 games um they left here and went back and beat louisville um yeah. oregon state and then shoot this week we're going to long beach state so we have a a really tough out of conference schedule this year um that, that's really going to have to help us uh grow and mature as time goes on because um you know we face some real arms early i mean oregon state threw some plus arms at us and long beach state will too but i think uh you know, we're trying to figure out our bullpen and figuring out how we handle things under pressure. So that's kind of the reason we scheduled it. And um, it was a great weekend. It was great atmosphere. And uh, getting to see our kids in in some of those environments was huge for us and how they responded. So, so you win the series kind of weekend as a whole. When when you think back over the course of all three games, how do you kind of grade the weekend? What do you take away from the, the, the two out of three series win? Well, it's hard when you lose the Sunday game because you're pissed. So, um, but I thought we, you know, day one, we, we played great late. You know, we was withheld them and held them down and were able to get some runs late. Uh, I thought we played a lot better on day two. And then I was disappointed in day three. You know, just I uh, thought we played a little flat. You could tip your hat to those guys. They played really well. Um, but I feel like we can play better. And we're, like I said, we're still trying to figure out some things. And I'm trying to, you know, run bullpen pieces out there. And you just don't know what you're totally going to get. You know, right? You know, with some new guys. So we're we did have a lot of bright spots on the weekend. I thought we had some guys pitch really well and 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 play some defense really well. But I just, um, you know, like I said, when you lose the last game, it just leaves that taste in your mouth. Obviously, no JT again on the weekend. Kind of going back to game one with Friday with with Carlisle Costler. How did you evaluate what he gave you in kind of that first big spotlight moment? Well, he was he battled. And that's what you're going to get from the older, mature guy. He can pitch better. I thought he nibbled around the plate and kind of pitch count got up there. But um, he was real effective. They didn't hit him. But he just kind of, you know, had some long at-bats and long counts. I think he can, you know, we're going to run him out there again this weekend. So see how he does. But he, um, you know, I was pleased with his effort. 
Hey, Coach Brian Haydad here. Speaking of you know coming up with who's going to start, uh, you got two midweek games this week. I know you told us yesterday that it was still up in the air. Do you have an idea of who's going to get the mound uh, Tuesday, Wednesday yet? Yeah, we're going to go with uh, tomorrow. I know tomorrow, Casey Hunt's going to throw tomorrow for us. So he is a uh, freshman from New Jersey, very talented. So we'll run him out there and then try to figure out Wednesday when we get to Wednesday. But Casey will be the guy running out there tomorrow against Texas Southern. And, and you're saying that, just, just real quick, you're saying that you're going to keep the, the weekend rotation the same as it was this past weekend? Yes, we are. Okay. Any kind of an update at this point, or is it just kind of a more of a wait and see with with JT in terms of of his no, arm soreness and going forward? Yet. No, we don't. So we're still waiting to see and getting doctors' opinions. On the offensive side of things, where are you? Where do you want to be? What stands out as really good for you right now? Well, we're in, we're not in a bad spot. I just uh, this past weekend, like I said, you face we face a potential first rounder on Friday who carved us up. We punched out a lot this weekend, so it's not that's really typical of us. Um, but I like our group. A lot of veteran guys, and some of the new guys have played well. Um, you know, Landon Jordan's been a really good at bat for us. Brandon Pimentel's had some big swings for us. Um, Luke Hancock had some big swings this weekend, and then our our freshmen were really good week one. Not so good week two. So that's usually what you get with freshmen and getting their feet wet. But they're really talented players. I think you'll see Cameron James and Logan Tanner and some of those guys play well. So we're, we're a work in progress. But our, our big guys, we were able to get Tanner Allen back on Sunday, which is a big piece to our lineup and gives us um, – we need him there in the three holes. So he hasn't had a lot of bats lately, so it'll probably take him a little bit of time. But uh, we're excited to have him back. People are, are still kind of getting to know Christian McLeod at this point. He's got two wins and two starts, goes five innings for you, had seven strikeouts, only walked one. What is it that he brings to the mound that makes him ready to be kind of what he's been so far this year? He's just ultra-talented. I mean, he was like that coming out of high school. Uh, we fought the draft on him coming out of high school. He just unfortunately got sick last year, but I mean, it's plus stuff. I mean, it's low to, you know, shoot low 90s, 92, 93, 94, <laughs> with a power curveball and a good changeup, and it's a big body. He has all the pieces to be a, you know, a frontline starter in the SEC. And he just, you know, he's pounding the strike zone right now, which is what I like to see. Last thing for you, you, you mentioned busy week with two midweek games, and then you make the uh, the trip west for Long Beach. They seem to be playing better maybe than they have the last couple of years. What's the challenge this week, and, and what are you trying to accomplish beyond just getting wins? Well, we need to see some young arms pitched here during the midweek and uh, being able to get some guys out there and see some guys who probably haven't pitched yet, which would be nice to see, and also maybe giving some other guys some at-bats. I mean, we've, we've played two pressure-packed weekends, uh, where every game has been close. So I haven't had a chance to <clears throat> mix and get some guys out there. And I like to sometimes get a guy out there in the right opportunity and just, you know, playing right state and Oregon state, they could really pitch and really defend. So there wasn't a lot of extra, you know, in there. So hopefully getting some guys out there and then we're taking our first road trip, trip, uh, Long Beach state top 25 team. So we're going to go out there and have to really compete. They just swept wake forest. who was, I think 17th in the country this past week. So, We'll have a uh, battle on our hands when we head out to California. Do they traditionally play a different style of game than, than kind of what you see week in, week out in, in this part of the country? They do. They play in that. Their ballpark's a graveyard, so it's, you, there's not a lot of offense there, and they can really pitch and defend. Um, probably very similar to Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State, I mean, they made four or five plays this weekend that 
you know, are game changers, <clears throat> and they're making them multiple times a game, and then they can pitch. They have two two left-handed arms that are pitching Friday and Saturday that are as, as good as there is out there. So it'll be a, you know, we were worried. We have a flight back on Sunday, and we were we were worried about it, but they're playing games in about two and a half hours out there. So <laughs> um, our games seem to take a lot longer. So we, we'll see a, a different style, more of that West Coast style. Um, it'll be interesting for our ball club, but I feel like you got to challenge them. You got to be able to play West Coast teams because you get matched up with them in Omaha or Super Regionals or Regionals, and being able to play all kinds of ball is one reason we're going out there to play. Hope you get some great weather while you're there. Safe travels to you, and look forward to visiting with you again soon, Coach. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good day. And that's Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. You heard him say that the rotation this weekend. When the Bulldogs go to Long Beach for three games at George Blair Field, I think that's the uh, the name of it when they take on the uh, the Dirtbags, uh, will be the same as this weekend. So Costler will again uh, go in game one. No JT Ginn. And uh, hey, Daddy said no update at this point on that as they continue to kind of get some medical evaluation on uh, where to go with him. Yeah, probably expected that, to be honest. I mean, it's just Monday. Uh, wouldn't have probably gotten an update over the weekend. I know he was in the dugout all weekend. You know, wasn't didn't appear to have his arm immobilized or anything like that. So uh, they're just you know they're just gonna take it. Uh, We're not talking about amputation it. here. <laughs> they had to they had to you know put him in a full body cast. No, uh, they're just gonna take it slow and we'll see where see where it takes. So Mississippi State gets two out of three. You heard him say, and, and we've talked about it before. You know, if you can only win one, win the last one. Man, after you win the series, you so want to get greedy, and you want to finish the weekend on that positive note. So Oregon State feels a little bit better about going home after getting that 7-2 to win, but a good weekend for Mississippi State, winning 6-2 to on Friday, 7-4 to on Saturday, and then dropping the series finale um, yesterday. Texas Southern on Tuesday, Alcorn State on Wednesday, fly across the country on Thursday, play Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Long Beach State. That's the week coming up for Mississippi State Baseball. Thanks to Chris Lamonis for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday afternoon. We had to press pause on winners and losers to visit with Chris Lamonis. Appreciate him joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You can bundle your coverages together to save money. You're dealing with local agents, a Mississippi company, local in all 82 counties. No reason not to, at the very least, Get a quote from Mississippi Farm Bureau and see if you can save some money. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Your winners and losers from the weekend. First up, Julie from Tupelo. Winners. Ryan Newman and NASCAR Safety Regiment. Yeah, I, I would say so. It was a week ago today where many of us were not entirely sure that uh, Ryan Newman was going to live. Not only did he live, two days later he walked out of the hospital and uh, looks like he's going to be okay, and that's fantastic. She also said Ole Miss and Mississippi State baseball fans, weather wasn't that great for baseball this weekend. Saturday was a little better, uh, but uh, Friday, Sunday, not so much, and uh, really good crowds uh, this weekend. Keith and Jayus says, here's to you, Mr. Plank Man, talking about the guy, the uh, retired Marine who planked and set a Guinness Book of World Records um, record, sorry to be redundant, eight hours, 15 minutes, 15 seconds in a plank position. Lucas, winner, John Rom, 
Shot a course record 61 on Saturday. He's the second player in tour history to have nine birdies and a hole-in-one in the same round. It's a good day at the office. Always a good feeling. Is that how you felt? You, you felt like a winner after doing that? Yes, I did. Loser Lucas says men's basketball. At least if you were ranked in the top four this past weekend. Three of the top four lost on Saturday. Baylor went down at home to Kansas. Gonzaga lost at BYU. And San Diego State lost to UNLV over the weekend. So three of the top four go down. Didn't Patrick Reed have to be a winner? Because he, what, won? Yeah, it felt very on brand in a week that Peter Costas kind of blowtorched him in terms of like... What did Costas say? Well, he went on the No Laying Up podcast, which I haven't listened to all of yet. Hopefully I can finish that tonight. But he basically just kind of went off on broadcasting rules, things like that. But then there was a clip that started to make more sense afterward where Reed put like four different irons behind a ball in the rough, then grabbed a three-wood, and like he's live commentating behind him and says, is he going to go for it? And he said, I don't know. The original eye I saw wouldn't have allowed for that. Ooh. <laughs> because he doesn't work at CBS anymore. He has since left. So he kind of made like a little earthy? Yeah. Mm. Winner, Let's Anthony put, uh, Servideo's hairstylist. Yeah, y'all calling, uh, what's the kid, Kale Baker? Kenny Powers? Yeah. But isn't isn't Servideo Ashley Schaefer? Look at that thing. I mean, it's a peroxide blonde mullet. It is full Ric Flair. Are you on board with the uh, Servideo haircut? Oh, I don't care. People can do with their hair what they want. I mean, they do that every year in some form. When did that? Did that start with Zach Cozart? I believe so. That was the answer I got. So the the whole bleach blonde hair, if you're the starting shortstop, it went from Zach Cozart to Errol Thompson to Gray Kessinger, now to Anthony Servideo. Did I miss anybody in the string of shortstops? Hey, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I played. No, uh, I thought hey Dad was going to pick up on that. No, Errol Thompson was not one of those. But uh, oh, did you say Errol Thompson? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Errol Robinson. Was, my bad. Yes, I believe so. I'm trying to think. But there was he started listing Ole Miss shortstops. I was like, I can tune out for this part. Yeah, Austin Anderson did it for a year, if I'm not mistaken, at 13 before moving over to third base for Errol at <laughs> 14. Did it start with Tolbert, Matt Tolbert, before even Zach Cozart? I'm pretty sure it started with Zach Cozart. I don't know that for 100% fact, but I believe when I asked her a video about this at Media Day, and he said he believed he thought it started with Zach Cozart. Okay. Let's, um, put, uh, let's put Joe Burrow on the winner's list here. Just tweeted out, considering retirement, after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands, please keep me in your thoughts. <laughs> had, the, had the smallest measured hands at the Combine, evidently. Only nine-inch hands. I mean, I thought Fromms were smaller. You know who has really small hands, know. and it's made a difference in bad weather as much as people like to poke fun of it is Goff. Goff outside, not great. Well, well I mean, I tried to tell y'all about Burrow back last summer, how terrible he was. Now we've hmm. just got we've just got confirmation. Amanda in Pike County says, uh, "Winner Georgia for their buzzer beater on the road against Vanderbilt on Saturday." Is that that fun? was that game. Oh, okay. Going in, there were. Th- this was our storyboard going in. Georgia trying to win its fourth SEC game, and for the first time this year, trying to win back to back games in league play. That was Georgia. Vanderbilt. 
trying to win their second SEC game and finally in the last 32 tries. Hmm. Compelling and rich. And you know what we like, ended up with? Like a fine wine. Best basketball game I've seen in person this year. That shot yeah. was from like kind of the Marshall Henderson era, which if I'm not mistaken, the, the benches were still on the sides when that happened. The benches have not been on the sides at Vanderbilt since like 1950. They haven't been at the back of the... Yes, thing. they have. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, you're wrong. You're wrong on this one. Really? That's been there since 1950? I, I don't know specifically when they moved them to the I end. was there the day they moved them. Are you being serious? Yes, Richard. I was there in 1950. I don't know that 1950 is the actual day. I just know that for as long as I've I been watching Vanderbilt basketball, the benches have been at the end of the court. Same here. They've always been at the end of the court. How about just the, take uh, the L I'm just on. not positive about that. I'm pretty sure there were some Stallings games. You're 12 years old. Just trust us on this one. I don't. Do I have to? Yes. You, you can trust me, right? What have I ever lied to you? Going back to the time when Jan Van Bredikoff was the head coach at Vanderbilt, their benches were at the end. I don't go a whole lot farther than that back in terms of Vanderbilt basketball's illustrious history, but I know for certain that they, for at least the last 25 years, have been at the end of the floor. He doesn't trust us, hey, Dad. He's just Googling away. I'll trust the Internet. Of course you will. Uh, anyway, that turned out to be a great game. And it was a lot of fun, and I felt bad for Vanderbilt. I really did. They've lost 31 of their last 32 in SEC regular season play. That's tough. Karma for the Whistler. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's a loser Lincoln. for you. Okay. I wanted to get to this one because it's just it's just ridiculous. Um, probably more fitting for one of the other two shows, but it doesn't matter. It's still sports-related. Kenny Brown. Uh, the head coach at Seminole High School in Sanford, Florida, was fired for what is being called a vulgar video of him using foul language in direction uh, towards his team on the team bus after a game. He used the F word a few times. I think the local news counted it for some reason, and he used seven profane words in this rant at his baseball team. Here's the thing, though. He wasn't, That's all you get in a day, by the way, seven. Yeah, he wasn't yelling at them. He wasn't mad at them. In fact, it's a video that surfaced after they won the state championship, the most recent state championship, and he was excited for his team, and everybody on the bus is celebrating, and he's holding the trophy, and he's saying stuff like, you earned this, you effing earned this, and everybody on the bus is excited. And the district is even citing an instance where he violated HIPAA laws by telling one of his players he's proud of him, because he has diabetes and he overcame it and has played really good baseball for him. And he lost his job for that. It was, did you, I mean, I, the, the, I watched the I video. I, there, no, 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 I, 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 I figured you did. I figured you weren't just going blind. It was a bit crude. I don't have a problem with it, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big cancel culture soft generation guy, but the, the couple of the comments were a bit crude. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb. Just, going to go out on a limb and say that 98% of the people who played high school football in the state of Mississippi circa 19, uh, 2000 and back have heard worse. They, they speak to each other worse than that every single day. Yeah. And he was excited. And they're talking about HIPAA laws. Like, give me a break. He's telling the kid he's proud of him. It, that, if that's the direction we're really going. By what, the way, what are the players? Not, 
Yeah, it's, like, it's yeah, not but, like the coach recorded it and, and decided to put it out there. It just got put out there. So, I mean, you just think you're talking to your team. The teammates probably all know that kid is sick. So, what, what are we talking about here? The lesson here is probably not to record everything you do because this only gets people in trouble. The coach well, like the LSU thing, the yeah, yeah. Game, like the, I mean, Antonio Brown was a whole other level. Uh, Mr. Swag P uh, in the Lakers locker room. It's true. Not probably just probably don't record things when you're playing team sports. That's probably the uh, motto. But it wasn't the, like. Uh, uh, Post game, you played like trash. I'm going to break you all in half. It was, guys, this is awesome. We just won the state championship. You earned this. And what he was threw this video some from, words in from there. by the way? Because like, what state championship in baseball has already been played? It was from, from like the most recent state championship. Yeah, the video just surfaced this week. Okay. Somehow, okay. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was wondering that. I didn't understand the diabetes thing until Borky explained it. Uh, loser Rippy for doubting the words of his elder co-hosts. Somebody says, actually, I know for a fact that in the 90s, the benches were on the end. That's what I was trying to tell him as well. I, I just copped a photo from 57, and it looks like they're on the end. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll take a quick time out, wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, somebody put this in the winner's category. We just didn't have time to get to it a second ago. The SEC, in terms of baseball, I mean, we know the prowess of the league, and it's really good this year and all that. But when you look at the early season results, my goodness gracious. The first two weeks, I mean, if you're looking like in terms of RPI where the league is before it even gets into league play, so you got Ole Miss on opening weekend taking two out of three from Louisville. You've got Florida going to Miami and sweeping a team that's going to be really, really good in the ACC. Those may be the top two teams in the ACC this year. Uh, Mississippi State takes two of three from Oregon State this past weekend. And Wright State, I mean, you heard Chris Lamona say earlier, Wright State's going to be a team that competes for their conference championship. You've had Arkansas against a pretty decent Gonzaga program. They won four times this weekend. Tennessee goes and they get really good wins. Had one against Texas Tech, had one against Houston. can't remember who the third win was against for Tennessee, but a good win for them. Really the only black mark on the SEC so far is Auburn getting swept at home this weekend by UCF. But isn't there a chance, not disagreeing, but isn't there a chance it ends up saying pretty good amount about UCF. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. Um but but if you're looking for a wow league team got popped in the mouth, that's really the only one that you can point to through two weeks so far. Am I miss it feels like I maybe even am missing some so far in terms of high profile. Maybe not. Maybe that's kind of been it in terms of high profile so far this year. Point in all of that is it's been a really good start. Florida's undefeated, Tennessee's undefeated. You got Georgia at 7 and 1. A&M has not lost yet. They really haven't played anybody. One kind of a wild one yesterday against Army. Arkansas, Alabama both still undefeated. Ole Miss has only the one loss, same thing for Mississippi State. How about LSU with three losses already? National champions. I can already feel it. Are we bailing on LSU at this point? 
That would be a foolish idea, in my opinion. South Carolina did lose two or three to Northwestern. Okay. You want to there talk about an unsatisfied group of people? And I know Twitter is more just a cesspool of, of awfulness and is not an actual reflection of real life, but look at the replies to any LSU baseball tweet ever. It is all firemanary. All of them. It's like, do you people have any grasp of reality? He's not Skip Bertman. No, he's not, but he has a national championship and he wins. Yeah. They went to the national title series, what, three years ago, two? Yeah. But they all were fired. I mean, like, who are you going to hire that's going to give you that much production? Like, honestly, for you baseball guys, is he underperforming? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. I think it's hard to win a national championship. And it's different last year if they don't get, well, I mean, it's probably even perceived even differently if they don't get upset by Florida State, Mike Martin's last hurrah. Yeah. So LSU had a, uh, they've got a five-run loss to Indiana on the opening weekend. They lost a midweek game at Nickel State, 4-2, to two, and then they lost game one of the series this weekend to Eastern Kentucky, 2 to nothing. I'm not sure that this is a vintage LSU team, but I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, they'll figure it out. They always lose a few games that they shouldn't. Would you think I was crazy if I said LSU finished fourth in the West? I wouldn't think you were crazy if you said third. I don't buy their front-line pitching on the weekends as being as strong as people think. Marceau was okay last year. Yeah. I know he's a freshman. It's kind of like Gunnar Hoagland. Cole Henry was good, but doesn't really impress me. Like, a, like I would much... Rather, if I'm picking face him than any, I would. I think I could get to six or seven of the Friday night guys in this league before him, without question. But he was on the top, as I pointed out. He was on the top thirty pitchers in the twenty-five thirty right. when we went through the list. I didn't understand that. Oh, okay, so in terms of Friday night guys in the SEC that you would rather not face, Burns, Hancock, Lacey, Ginn, right there. I put Nikhazy in front of him. Yes. They're close. The Majeski kid at South Carolina, we'll see. I mean, everybody kind of wanting to bang that drum. Well, according to Tim Corbin, Kumar Rocker is technically a Saturday guy, but I'm going to yeah, throw come him on. in there for this. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> either well, they keep of the two Hickman guys for Vanderbilt. They keep throwing Hickman on Fridays. I think you'd rather face Cole Henry than Hickman or Kumar Rocker. I don't know about Hickman. I mean, Cole Henry's good. Well, yeah, 12 strikeouts on Friday night? Yeah. Garrett Stallings at Tennessee? I think I could get to five or six. I guess I'm just saying. I think I just got to like eight. Thank you, and I may be looking at it differently. We're agreeing. I'm just, I don't know if I'll go to eight or nine. Yeah. But definitely five or six. I just don't buy it. I don't know. Bullpen pretty good, though. Sports Talk Mississippi, two hours quickly in the books with you. Mike Bianco will join us about 20 minutes from right now. We'll talk with him about the Rebels weekend sweep of Xavier and their game coming up tomorrow against um, Southern Miss in a midweek battle in Oxford. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Monday, fast Monday edition of the show. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey sitting here next to me. Brian Haydad's in Starkville. Michael Borky is in Jackson. Glad to have you along for the ride. The Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395 is the number. The biggest free phone event ever is here at Ceasefire right now. 
Switch to prepaid by C Spire and get your choice of best-selling phones. Phones like the Samsung Galaxy A10e, the Google Pixel 3a, and more. While supplies last, shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. C Spire, customer inspired. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. We are nearing the end of truck month, but still great savings on the Ranger, the F-150. That's America's best-selling truck for 43 straight years and Ford Super Duty. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. I suppose the biggest story in college football on this Monday is the story that Scott Cochran, the flamboyant, boisterous strength coach for the University of Alabama under Nick Saban, is leaving Alabama. But he's not leaving to become a strength coach somewhere else. Barring an unforeseen circumstance, Scott Cochran is joining Kirby Smart's staff at Georgia as a special teams coach, an on-field coach. Kirby Smart previously had pursued Scott Cochran, strength and conditioning coach at Alabama since 2007 when he was hired at Georgia in 2015, but ultimately Cochran decided to stay at Alabama. As of 2019, he was one of the nation's highest paid strength and conditioning coaches at nearly $600,000 a year. Reports for a while now have been that Scott Cochran has been interested in making the switch to actually being a position coach, and at one point... His name came up as a possibility to be on Lane Kiffin's staff at Ole Miss. That obviously didn't happen, but now it is happening in Athens. Scott Cochran joining Kirby Smart's staff at Georgia as an assistant coach, not as a strength and conditioning coach. The reactions to this have been far and wide. Uh, Some people have made a huge deal of it. Some people have minimized it a bit. Maybe the most... Mm, level-headed response that I've seen in all of this, I'd love to credit it, I don't remember exactly where it was, was that Scott Cochran has done a remarkable job of kind of marketing himself, of becoming a character and kind of like a key and integral part of that Alabama program. And as a result, he has... uh, landed himself a uh, a coaching job. So good for him if that's what he wanted to do. What's your reaction to this? I, I can't quite figure out two things. Uh, one, the most important, is why on the Georgia side of things? Like, don't get me wrong. I understand how big of a deal this is for Alabama. He's been Nick Saban's guy. He's his prized jewel. And it, so... Alabama losing him, I get why that's a big deal, why that's important, why that matters. But the the rhetoric around what Kirby Smart, air quotes, did doesn't make sense to me. Bruce Feldman called it a huge move by Kirby. Kirk Herbstreit called it a freaking coup. I mean, you're, you're seeing that kind of reaction that, wow, what a huge move, massive move from Kirby Smart. It's like, wait, hold on now. He hired a career strength and conditioning coach to be his special teams coordinator. Why is that a big deal? 
the, Alabama hired him from the NBA. Like he was working with Chris Paul before he went to Alabama. He's a strength and conditioning coach, a very good one, apparently. But why is the Georgia side of this a massive, huge deal? Oh, he's going to be a great recruiter. How do you know? He's never been on the recruiting trail. He's been a strength and conditioning coach. He's a special teams coordinator now, and he's never done it before. He's never been in this position. Why is this a massive deal for Georgia? I think it's a big deal, Borky, because Kirk, uh, Kirby Smart went and got Nick Saban's guy. I mean, you think about all the turnover that they've had on Alabama staff yeah. over the course of his tenure. Scott Cochran's been there since 2007. And they do play the each other this time. year. But, it, I mean... It, that that's and I understand why, but why is Georgia worried about taking Nick Saban's guy, especially when it's it'd be different if Kirby Smart was hiring him as the strength and conditioning coach. Then I hear you because that would have been a big deal. Yeah, but this is you gave him what apparently is a promotion. It's something that he wanted, and the opportunity was not there at Alabama to do it. So. The, the rhetoric about him stealing Scott Cochran or this is a huge move, I I don't see what everybody else sees. I under, I see the loss for Alabama. That makes perfect sense to me. What does not make sense is why hiring a career strength and conditioning coach for your special teams coordinator is a massive move. Probably because it's February in the college football news cycle. It's probably part of it. Maybe something to that. Hey, Dan, what's your reaction to this this move? I, I always thought that he and uh, that Cochran and Saban were sort of joined at the hip. I, I'm, I'm very surprised to see this happen. Obviously, you know, he wanted to get in, into the on-the-field on thing. That's fine. But I thought those guys were like, you know, just together. I thought they were just, you know, peas in the same pot. So at the end of the day, Alabama still is going to recruit better players than just about everybody else, and whoever is their strength and conditioning coach will have a pretty easy job of turning elite football players into eliter football players, uh, and we'll see what it means for, for Georgia. I'm interested to see the first time they miss an extra point or something, how is this guy going to react? You know, his <laughs> his temper through the years makes me think it's not going to be, it's going to be something that we'll get to replay on YouTube many times. Maybe so, but in terms of game day, I mean, he's been kind of like master motivator. For, sorry, let me careful, careful, careful. <laughs> he's kind of been like the master motivator. He's intense, but I mean, it's all been about the whole fourth quarter program, and we're going to be better than you in the fourth quarter, and all of those things. So, I don't know that you're going to see Scott Cochran necessarily eviscerate whoever the heir to Rodrigo Blankenship is. Because he missed a chip shot extra point, maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, I I don't know. To me, first of all, I thought the whole Scott Cochran thing at Alabama was a little over the top, but I'm not going to question much of what Nick Saban's done because it's worked. But being in the stadium where they're showing the videos pregame, where Scott Cochran is just yelling at everybody, it's like, nah, come on. Especially it's, the random, yeah, 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 that they would play over yeah. the speakers, like, without warning. That was rough. It's almost like that seemed a little below Alabama football and kind of its standards to me. But whatever. I mean, if it worked, it worked. That's fine. I think the other piece that's here is Kirby Smart wanted him on his staff because they're friends. Not because, like, oh, i got to go hire a buddy. But, like, that was a pretty close relationship. I think I've read that. 
and heard that along the way. And so he goes and gets a guy that he trusts, which is probably the most important thing. They're going to continue to get good players. My guess is that the personality that Scott Cochran will take to the recruiting trail will be one that people respond to. But then again, does it really matter? I mean, well, yeah, Georgia's really going to recruit well now. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, like, if it needs to get done on the recruiting trail at Georgia, it seems to be getting done. The fun part will be if, if Georgia now wins the national title, we can all point to it. Well, obviously, Scott Cochran was the key to that. They He'll did the do an offensive at Boise overhaul. State in two years. Kirby does deserve credit, though. I mean, kind of overhauling his staff, especially on the offensive side, recognized that there was deficiencies there and went out and and got some guys. Money helps, and that's college football in a nutshell, is they can just go pay to get whoever they want. But it's good to see – I don't know if it's good or bad, but he's self-aware enough to recognize that there were coaching deficiencies and he immediately corrected them. Is that the LSU effect? Is that LSU just changing everything they did ever in the history of college football, winning a national title, and everybody saying, yeah, maybe we should change everything too? All right, so this text, Kirby can't beat Saban because he's just another Georgia coach. They still coach like it's 1995. They need to see LSU 2020. But what is can't? He's been there, what, four years? Yeah. And has played for a national title and two SEC championships? Yeah. But if you look at record in production, it's, I mean, almost identical to Mark Richt. David and Sosher says he's a millionaire and he's ready to move from Tuscaloosa and do something new. Okay. I just don't buy into it to the Rick thing as much because when Kirby starts winning nine games consistently and not actually contending for anything, then I'd kind of buy it because that's what we got to stay with Rick. I didn't know this happened. Somebody says no class for Saban not to let him tell the players bye. They had a team meeting and would not let him talk to him. Well... Mm. I don't have a problem with that. Maybe I should. Maybe those relationships are long. But when you say I'm out, you're out. And it's just kind of how it is. And it's not like cell phones don't exist. Look, man. I, right. Yeah, but like I gave my even... two weeks' notice for a job one time, and they were like, "Thanks, that's really good of you." And by lunchtime that day, they were like, "Hey, you got your computer cleaned out? We'll pay you for the next two weeks, but you're good. Thanks." It's just how it works. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online, supertalk.fm. Monday afternoon with you. We talk with Scott Barry on the Farm Bureau phone line in the 3 o'clock hour this afternoon. Chris Lamonis joined us about an hour ago, and now Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Ole Miss coming off a sweep over the weekend of the Xavier Musketeers. Rebels have only uh, the one loss in the season opener on the season, and uh, Mike Bianco joins us right now. Coach, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Um, in terms of kind of how you might in your head have drawn up the start of the year, has this been about as good as you could have hoped for? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, obviously, well, we've gotten up to a good Friday, good weekend last weekend, or two weekends ago against Louisville. Uh, tough, you know, first game, but proud of the way we bounced back, uh, game two and game three. Uh, fought our rear ends off in the midweek game against Alcorn State, and just one of those why you know it's baseball, it's crazy, but uh, you know they swung it, out hit us. Uh, we were lucky to hang on, but I, I was really proud of the way we played this past weekend. We were really sharp, I think, in all three phases. Richard, tell me a little bit more about Kale Baker. Four home runs already on the year. 
Uh, he's in double-digit RBIs. He doesn't necessarily look like a prototypical SEC college baseball player, but in some ways that kind of makes it even more fun to watch. Yeah, you know, he's, he's uh, quickly becoming a, a folk hero here. and uh, Just, you know, one of the things that, 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 that I, I think I love about him and everybody loves about him is he's just kind of an infectious personality. He seems like he really enjoys himself out there, uh, plays hard. He's just a ball player. And I think that's one of the things that I, and I say it, you know, in different ways, but, but I really mean it. it's why baseball is different. You know, uh, you know, you can look like a regular person. You know, and certainly he looks like a regular person. He's not this you know, chiseled six foot three, you know, two hundred twenty pound guy. That looks like oh god, that guy's got to play sports or be an athlete. I mean, he looks like a regular guy, and, and uh, but he's a, he's a tremendous hitter. He he moves well for a big guy. He can play first. He can even catch. Uh, and, and certainly, we're excited about the start that you know he's had because you know we we basically have needed that, especially last go. You know, Two Saturdays ago, uh, ago against Louisville. I guess baseball's law of averages would tell you that Anthony Servidio is not going to hit 500 for the year with 30 home runs and 80 driven in. I, I don't know. I don't want to put it past him. But what is he capable of doing offensively as the everyday starting shortstop hitting at the top of the order? What kind of a pace can he maintain for you throughout the course of a 56 game regular season and into the postseason? Well, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, it's a tough question. I think uh, we just love that he's you know been a leader for us offensively. He's gotten off to a great start. Excuse me, he's he's hit some home runs, uh, but but uh, you know, uh, obviously he's been more aggressive than than last year. He's stolen some bases. Uh, can he hit 500? I don't know. We've, we've never had a guy hit 500, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a, I think an outstanding player where I think over the past couple of years, he's been kind of overlooked a little bit because of, you know, uh, the obvious great Kessinger at shortstop, but, you know, he's just kind of been the guy he's sitting there waiting his turn, playing right field, playing some second base, but, you know, super excited about the, you know, start that he's had. In terms of Servideo's defense, you mentioned Gray Kessinger, but I mean, you've got a line of shortstops that have been elite defensively. Where does he fall defensively, kind of in comparison to some of the other guys that you've coached? Well, um, you know, I, I think he's as good as you know anybody we've had. I mean, when you, when you watch, you know, the the, the skill set. Now he's a little different in the sense that uh, I think he's a little. You know, you might call it fast twitch or quick twitch, uh, you know, in, in the sense that I think he's probably uh, uh, a step quicker than, than Gray was at short. Uh, might not quite have Gray's arm, but has plenty of arm. Uh, he's a guy that I think can, can show you that, that uh, you know, sports center top 10 type play. Uh, but he's got to do it for a whole year. And I think that's one of the reasons that he's kind of fallen on the radar when you talk about the great shortstops in the country is because he hasn't played there yet. And unfortunately for him, he got here at a time when Gray was already here. Uh, he could have easily started as a freshman at, at shortstop. It wasn't that he wasn't good enough. It wasn't that, hey, we coached him up and now he's good. I mean, he's always been good. We just happened to have another guy that was uh, a couple of years older than him. Mike Bianco with us on the Farm Bureau phone line talking about the Rebels' start to the season and looking ahead to the games this week. Southern Miss uh, tomorrow afternoon, that's always a, a, a fun series in that you play twice. You play them once in Pearl and either at your place or at their place. Maybe catching them even a little bit earlier this year um, than than normally you would. What's the challenge of playing that game on a Tuesday this early? 
Well, it, uh, I, I don't know early, but it's a challenge on, on a Tuesday. You know, you're talking about you know a top twenty team year in and year out. Scott's done you know a tremendous job there in his career there. Uh, it's just a big challenge. A really good program, and and uh, you know on a Tuesday where you know, the, the crowds usually aren't as good. So we're hoping you know uh, Rebel Nation will show up and, and forces. But you know, you know, we play our our. February games, you know, at four o'clock, just because of the temperature. The temperature should be fine tomorrow. I think it's the high is like you know in, in, in the fifties here, uh, 58, 59 degrees. So we should the range should be out tonight. Uh, but we'll pitch uh, several guys. We'll start West Burton, uh, but uh, certainly West. You know, I would think you know if West would be somewhere around four or five innings max that he could go. And uh, pretty rested bullpen because we pitched it really well this weekend. Uh, so you know, we we got it, you know, all hands on deck, you know, so to speak. Uh, but but again, a, a really good uh, a program, uh, a load of left-handed bats that we'll see. Scott always brings a, a really really good lineup. We'll face a left-handed pitcher, so it'll be a little challenge for for our lineup as well. And uh, and again, exciting. You know, uh, we 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 played it a little earlier this year. I don't know if it's, we've ever played it this early, but we like to play this game if we can in our place uh, in early March or, or late February, just because our our April gets loaded up with a couple great games at Pearl and stuff. Uh, the, the the April you know month kind of gets loaded up for us. Mike, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you told me you liked the makeup of this team, but you said the fan base was going to kind of have to get to know them a little bit because there were some new faces. When you look at what you've seen through the first couple of weekends, how do you kind of assess the way as a group they've played so far? Well, I think you know, as we your first question when I got on the air, you know, you got to be proud. And, and 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 I wasn't with you last weekend, but you know, after the first weekend, to be able to respond after losing on Friday night, uh, especially when we made uh, like two or three errors in the ninth inning, just kind of uh, you know, they had a four-two lead. We had a couple leads that or one lead that you know got away from us. Then we kind of answered back, got it close, and then they extended it Louisville bit on Friday night. Uh, but the way our guys answered back on Saturday and Sunday and it just you know the, the grit that they showed the toughness they showed and usually that's what you see in older teams or you know experienced teams uh, we, we saw a lot of guys that you know played for the first time either pitched for the first time or got on the you know diamond for the first time and uh, you know really played uh, to their potential and, and, and so it was exciting you know to f- see the fire in them. And we won our first four games, three against Louisville, one against Alcorn State, without really playing that well. I mean, uh, and so that's the thing, something. We won a couple one-run games, and I think that only says something about your club. But the challenge this weekend was, hey, can we play better? Can we play really good baseball, sound baseball? Uh, and we did it three games in a row. It's hard to argue with you know the, the performance this past weekend. So uh, I like this team. They, they've shown some grit. They've shown some toughness. And uh, but it's a long season, and uh, you know it's, uh, the next game you know, tomorrow is, is is a tough one. Yeah, and then this weekend you go on the road to Greenville, North Carolina. You'll play High Point at eleven o'clock on Friday. So a little bit of a unique start time there. Then you get East Carolina on Saturday, and then an, again an early start on Sunday with with Indiana. What do you anticipate this weekend for the first road trip? 
Well, as you know, we, we, we try to get on the road one time, one weekend before SEC play. And, of course, uh, the coach at East Carolina, Cliff Godwin, you know, was, uh, was a coach here uh, back in 2014 when we went to the College World Series. And uh, it's kind of been Owen, uh, Cliff, this, this trip, wanted to go uh, to his place and uh, play in his tournament there. And it uh, just worked out this was the year that we did. High point, uh, it's got a big right-handed throw on Friday night that's, you know, a legit ace, and so it'll be a challenge for us. And of course, you know, Cliff's got another top, you know, fifteen program, and uh, you know, just a real good team returning team that played in the Super Regional last year. And then Indiana, that I think also, you know, they 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 lost two out of three opening up at LSU, but you know, had a good weekend at South Al, I think, just this past weekend. And and so three different teams, all you know, midday games. And so uh, again, first time on the road, and we'll see how this young team responds. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Look forward to visiting with you each week on Monday, Coach. Thanks, Richard. That's Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss. Uh, tomorrow, 4 o'clock first pitch against uh, Southern Miss. That one's at Swayze. And then this weekend, 11 a.m. Central against High Point, 3.30 Central on Saturday afternoon against East Carolina. That's a good ballpark, good facility, good fan base. They'll have a big crowd for that one. And then 10 a.m. Central time Sunday morning, against Indiana for uh, Rebels' first road trip of the uh, of the season. So that's what's coming up this week for Ole Miss. Appreciate all three head baseball coaches uh, in Mississippi. Scott Berry, Chris Lamonis, and Mike Bianco joining us today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. There was another piece of college football news over the weekend. New head coach at Colorado. Who'd they hire? Why'd they hire him? We'll get to that next and we continue. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. It's the other big piece of college football news is that Colorado has hired Carl Durrell, former head coach at UCLA, who had a winning record in his time at UCLA and has spent the last five or six years in the NFL as a wide receivers coach. Um, you, know, you, you look at the Colorado search... It's a five-year, $18 million deal pending approval from the Board of Regents. Dolphins receivers coach last year. Uh, prior to that, worked with the Jets. Mel Tucker, of course, left Colorado to take the Michigan State job. Uh, Carl Durrell, head coach at UCLA, 03-07. Five bowl appearances, 35-27. and 27. Mark fired at the end of the 07 season despite his team reaching a bowl game. Eric Bieniemy who is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs and was a running back, a star at Colorado, withdrew his name from consideration for the job. So did Steve Sarkeesian, uh, decided that he wants to stay as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. The timing was never optimal for Colorado to be replacing their head coach. I mean, spring ball has started at places all over the country, and it's about to start everywhere. Is this a hire that any Colorado fan is going to be excited about? No. No. This is a hire that you look at it on the surface and you think, well, we'll be doing this again in three years. You know, hopefully for his sake and for his family's sake, that's not the case. Well, you, you didn't ask me for the nice answer. You no, no, I understand that. I, I understand. I mean, but yeah, I mean, if you're a Colorado fan, first of all, you go, man. Mel Tucker really left us in a bad spot. This is not the time of year you want to be hiring a head football coach. But what's done is done. 
So now we got to go out and hire a guy, and we have to do so at a salary that really is not competitive in comparison to schools that have the ability to go out and make a big, splashy hire. Like, frankly, Michigan State did in taking Mel Tucker away. Colorado doesn't have the resources to do that. And if you can't go pay somebody five or six million a year in February, good luck getting a guy you're going to pay three and a half million a year. I I understand that, uh, they're paying him, you know, five and a half million or whatever, but we're calling Mel Tucker a big splashy hire. Guy's five Um, and seven in his career. Okay. It felt like things were moving in the right direction at Colorado with Mel Tucker. I mean, I'll grant you that, but I mean, I think State and Ole Miss made big, splashy hires. I don't know so much about Michigan State. Okay, that's fair. But Michigan State was, how many many times did they get told no? I mean, maybe the bottom line is you don't want to be hiring a football coach in February, period. (laughs) That's that's the overriding lesson there, yes. Is that when the life transfer portal is close? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Here's what Carl Durrell said. I'm excited to be back. It's like coming home. He's talking about the Pac-12. But he's also been the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach at Colorado. Did so back in the early and mid-90s. He went on to say, the thing that excited me about this job is that my experience in the past here, for the most part, has been very successful. Had a lot of good teams. Went to a lot of good bowl games. Top caliber program that has a lot of potential. I'm excited to return it to that level. I think that's the window in which Cordell Stewart was playing quarterback at Colorado. So, yeah, they were good then. He should also say I'm excited to be coming back because there's nobody else that was going to pay me $3 million a year to be a head coach in February. I'm absolutely excited. Whether our fans are or not, I am. It's one of those deals where you go, maybe it turns into a good hire. Maybe so. But it's it's not one where you have that warm and fuzzy feeling right out of the gate. I think we should dissolve the Pac-12 and absorb it into the other conferences and make four power conferences and separate from the rest of college football. All right, so what would you do with them? Where would you put them? Oregon to the SEC. (laughs) Because, boy, does that make (laughs) geographical sense. Um, You change offensive coordinators if you're going to do that. I mean, if you really wanted to make it work the, the correct way, you would have to restructure everybody. If you really wanted to do it and do it right, you can't keep, you know, you can't dissolve the Pac 12 into other leagues. It would have to be a complete restructuring. I think something like that's coming, though. I really do. There are, there are only so many years remaining that the lesser schools are going to put up with the separation continuing to grow. They'll get tired of it eventually and want to break off and form their own league. That's going to happen. Hmm. I kind of look at it, you might be correct with the result, but I don't think the uh, the methodology is exactly the way you're looking at it. So you think it's going to be more the power schools yeah, are going to want to just dispose of the lesser schools? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea that group of five schools are going to say, you know what, we're sick and tired of this, we don't want to be a part of it anymore, we're going to go do our own thing. But how do we make money? How do we pay for stuff? They kind of don't already. As long as you allow yourself to play these pay games with the big schools, then that's how you do it. 
I guess, but I mean, I mean, with all talking. due respect, nobody's giving the AAC a massive television contract, and that's the best of the group of five. But they've got a decent television contract, and, and that's the best one. You've got four other leagues. Yeah. And I then mean, what happens when? The, but it's going to be greed that drives it the other direction, right? I mean, it's going to oh, be the sure. bigger conferences that say, yeah, "Look, we don't really need that. We can get more money." If 64 of us step aside and kind of take our ball and go home. Yeah. At what point do we stop calling the Pac-12 a Power 5 conference, though? I mean, God, thank God for Oregon and Utah. Well, I mean, come on. Southern Cal's going to get back. Are they? Yeah, they will eventually. When? What is back? Because they were in a Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. Back to where they're competing for a national championship. They're playoff caliber. The state of California, more players, high-profile players from California went to Arizona State than UCLA and Southern Cal combined. I understand that. Well, I mean, clearly, Clay Hilton is, is not the answer. They'll get a coach in there that will eventually stem that tide. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked if we were going to talk about Ole Miss basketball today. We can. Rebels lost uh, to Alabama on Saturday night in Oxford in a game that had a whole bunch of fouls. That's not the reason Ole Miss lost. They lost by a bunch because they weren't nearly as good as Alabama, and they didn't defend anything. They didn't defend the post, and they didn't defend the perimeter, and Alabama made shots. Ole Miss didn't play a lick of defense in the game. But what a hard game to watch in terms of flow. You had a full-on ref show on uh, on Saturday night. You did. It was very choppy. A uh, forty-nine fouls called. There was never much a rhythm on either side in the game, but you know, Alabama really just kind of imposed their will for the entirety. What did Kermit say after the fact about officiating? I heard the radio interview. I was driving along, and he was very measured. He's like, "Look, there's protocol. There's certain things that I can't say." I mean, you can't really say much at all without getting fined, and he didn't go into it hardly at all. It was just more so you want to see a game have flow. He said he didn't necess- wasn't necessarily animated when he got the second technical and that it caught him by surprise. Outside of that, not, not really a whole lot. There's not much you can say, again, without your checkbook. Yeah, I, I saw one aggregated tweet from his post-radio interview that said he thought that it was personal. That's not at all what he said. Um after the fact uh, about the officials, he said... What? Somebody misaggregated a quote for Cloud on Twitter? No way. Yeah, he said, I didn't say anything personal. There was nothing personal there. I thought he was ta- I would have thought he was talking about Brian. Because in the TV, in our post-game press conference after, he said, I know Brian didn't say anything personal. Yeah, well... Maybe, re- I don't re- know. Regardless. Yeah. The, the, the post-game attribution was not accurate, is all I'm getting at despite what Kermit actually said. Did he seem to think... I mean, you watched it. Did he deserve to be ejected? I, I, no. I, actually, I don't know. Because I don't know what he said to the guy, but it came off of a Tyree technical foul, which was really, I thought, a little bit, a little bit of a sensitive technical in its own right, because Tyree just reacted to like a hold or a hook or something. I don't know what it was. And got a technical, and to, according to Kermit Davis, didn't say anything, didn't appear to say anything. Davis got sort of 
animated, but it wasn't anything out of the norm. And then all of a sudden, you knew both were gone. It happened very quickly. So on the surface, no, but I don't know what he said. So I don't, I can't say for certain. But in terms of like your prototypical antics that would get you a technical, that seemed awfully quick. What did Oates do to get his? I missed that one. I clapped for the lady when she sunk the putt. I actually don't even remember Oates' technical. Did it come at the same time? No, I, I knew they each got one. Kermit got one in the first half, too. I don't remember what Oates did. There was so much complaining about the officiating. It, and then they like make it worse by doling out together. technicals. Like, they only make their own problem worse. Yeah, sure. I just, I, I don't, I actually don't even remember Oates' technical. I mean, technical fouls certainly have their place, but four of them in one game, barring a fight, Seems a little excessive. Ole Miss goes to Auburn tomorrow night at 6. They host Vandy on Saturday at noon. They've got Missouri at home for senior night next Wednesday and then finish March 7th at Mississippi State. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.